So if you were online, we were doing our sound check, and Jeff had me muted, and so you missed the greeting. <laughs> so sorry about that. Um, you didn't miss the music, but you missed me talking. Um, and that progression of songs just get us thinking about our need for God, but it also gives us that gratitude for what God does. And one of the things he does is that he gives gifts to the church to build her up, to edify her, to wash her with the water of the word, to make her pure and without spot, without blemish, to present her to himself perfect and holy. We have a Jesus who is returning, who is making his bride ready. And that's part of what spiritual gifts are about, is him working with his bride to make us ready. So if you didn't get a handout, uh, my wife is standing in the back. She has handouts. Just slip your hand up if you need a handout. So there's a few over on this side. There's one over here. Um, So we're talking about prophecy today, and it's a two-part deal because there's a lot to be said. As we get into this spiritual gift, uh, Paul actually gives us a lot about prophecy and about speaking in tongues and the interpretation of prophecy in tongues. Uh, In chapter 14 in particular, he talks about it, and he talks about orderly worship and how these things are to be used. Because if we remember in chapter 12, that's where our touch verse is, and I'll read that in a second. In chapter 12, he, he wants the church to be uh, aware of what spiritual gifts are used for because in Corinth, they were misusing them. And it was causing division. It was causing strife. It was, it was creating problems in the body. And there was a lot of pride and there was a lot of other things happening. And it was creating chaos in the Lord's church. And, and Paul says, listen, if we're going to use these gifts, which is good, he doesn't tell them to stop using them, but he says, we've got to put some order to this. We've got to understand what they're for and how they are to be used. And so Paul starts talking about these gifts. And the two that we're going to need to take some time and sit with are, are prophecy and, when we get to it, uh, tongues. And so we want to know exactly what that looks like and, and what does that look like. Because Paul, I think, puts down some guardrails for us. I think he puts some parameters around these things, and we should know it. And so that's why we're studying it, and that's why we're diving in. We want the fullness of what God has. Now, when I first got up here, I, was, I had a comment on my T-shirt. <laughs> so you see I'm wearing the Hamburglar, and what we need to do is we, we robble-robble those things away, those misconceptions, those things that don't line up with the Word of God. We put them in the bag, and we take them out. We get rid of them. So as we talk about spiritual gifts, as we talk about different things, there's a lot of areas where we need to conform to the Scriptures. So I'm wearing this just kind of as an illustration because spiritual gifts is one of those areas where there's a lot that we just don't take time to study and talk about because sometimes it's just uncomfortable. But we need to, we need to get those things where we don't line up, our thoughts don't line up, where maybe the doctrine that we have doesn't quite line up. I don't know how you've come to some of your conclusions, but we want to see what does God's Word say And those places that aren't in line with him, we want to get that out of the way and we want to put his his pure teaching in 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 its place, the truth in its place. So if you have your Bibles, look at 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 4 through 10. And this is just the the touch verse for us. This is where we're starting. 
Uh, and then from here, we're going to be all over. And you can see that in the outline. So starting in verse 4, this is what Paul writes to the church. He says, now there are varieties of gifts, but the same Spirit. There are varieties of service, but the same Lord. There are varieties of activities, but is the same God who empowers them all and everyone. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. For to one is given through the Spirit the utterance of wisdom. To another, the utterance of knowledge according to the same Spirit. To another, faith by the same Spirit. To another, gifts of healing by the one Spirit. To another, the working of miracles. To another, prophecy. This is the word of the Lord for us today. This is where we're starting. So prophecy is one of those gifts that is commonly despised. Uh, let's just be honest. In the Christian world, it's commonly despised. It is not looked upon favorably, mainly because of personal experiences or even abuses of the gift. And you don't have to look far to see abuses. You just click on YouTube and you just watch and it's not that people are doing hit pieces. Uh, I had a video sent to me, and people were talking about this at kind of a, a forum. And they said, you don't even have, it's not even hit pieces. You can just watch, and people abuse the gifts, and it's online. Like, you can just watch it and see it. And what does that do? It causes the church to despise spiritual gifts. We say, whoa, if that's what it looks like, we don't want that. Well, Paul says, hey, th- this is normal in the body, but it, it has a right place, and it has a right function. So we need to see it. So Prophecy is one of those things that people have not gravitated towards because they've seen a lot of misuse over, over time. Like all the gifts, prophecy, like all the other gifts, it should encourage and it should build up. 1 Corinthians 12, 7 says this, To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. So to each and every one of us who claim Jesus, we have the Spirit of God in us. He has sealed us for the day of redemption. And he manifests himself in and through us, in the body, for the common good. There's times where the Spirit shows up in in our lives as he's working through us to build up the church, to encourage the church, to edify the church. And he does that in many different ways. And prophecy is one of those things where, where he moves and works in individuals at specific times, to build the church. Another problem, as, as I'm just thinking through this as we get started, another problem that, uh, that prophecy tends to run into is that it's compared to Old Testament prophets and Old Testament prophecy. So New Testament prophecy and Old Testament prophecy are different. And that's important to understand because a lot of times they say, well, it must be just like in the Old Testament. We're under the New Covenant. And God is working differently in the New Covenant with this gift of prophecy than he did in the Old Covenant. So in the Old Testament, prophecy was most often seen as foretelling or telling the future or revealing the will of God and the activity of God. So the prophets would say, Thus saith the Lord, he is going to do this. This is what's going to happen. This is his will. This is his judgment. This is his encouragement. This is whatever the Lord has. They would bring that future prediction. They would talk about those things that God was doing. So we often think of the Old Testament prophet proclaiming what's going to come to pass. 
So we think about a lot of the different Old Testament prophets, either the major or minor prophets, and a lot of it is prophetic as to what will come. It really is. It's a foretelling of what's going to happen. We, also, we often think of these awesome predictions made by the prophets. And it's understood that Old Testament and New Testament, that the one who is speaking a prophetic word is hearing a revelation from God, Second Peter 1.21. So here's a way that they're similar. For no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by this Holy Spirit. So Old Testament prophets, New Testament prophecy, those who have this spiritual gift, are speaking from a revelation from God. Peter affirms that. Old Testament prophets, they had two strict rules that tested their prophecy. Now, I didn't put the the whole chapter up here, but according to Deuteronomy 13, there's two things that come out for them to be seen as a true prophet. The first one is they will never move the people to worship false gods or embrace false idols. If if they were to speak in such a way that would move the people to accept the, the gods in that land or the idols in that land or to move them away from God, that's a false prophet. The second thing was that if they spoke of future events, those events were to come about. If they did not, then they were false prophets. Now, sometimes the Old Testament prophets gave (laughs) prophecies that were well into the future. So you're like, how do we know if that's going to come about? Oftentimes, uh, God would show a near prophecy. And so uh, if you are thinking about just this idea of foretelling, in the Old Testament, one example is uh, when uh, Jeremiah is preaching and another prophet raises up against him, Jeremiah says, this is what the Lord's going to do. And the other prophet says, no, I have the opposite. I didn't get that message. And he says, well, the Lord told me you're going to be dead in a year. And in a year, that other prophet was dead. And it confirmed his prophecy that he was a true prophet. There was times in the Old Testament where God gave closer uh, times of foretelling for the prophets to to show that they were true prophets. So there's, there's instances where God is working to to undergird his prophets to show that they are his. Now, New Testament prophets, they seem to be different from Old Testament prophets in that their message appears more confined to the local church assembly. Now, I'm I'm just looking at scriptures and I'm looking at how it, it shows itself up in the scripture. They seem more confined to the fellowship of God. They're, they're more times that the Spirit is moving in this type of setting, in the setting of small groups and in the one anothering, when the Spirit is working and he's giving a prophetic word in the small, smaller gathering of his people, the local church, that local assembly. And they share, and all they share is to be weighed against Scripture. So the New Testament prophetic words that are shared are all to be weighed against this word, against this revelation. They can't contradict it. There's parameters in which it must line up. The, the things being said must be in agreement with what God says, with his character, his nature, his purposes. They must come together. So the New Testament prophet will not move people to, to worship false gods or embrace false idols. 
He's always subject to the scriptures and the elders of the local assembly. Uh, 1 Corinthians 14.29 shows that, that when one speaks, the others are to weigh it. It says, let two or three prophets speak and let the others weigh what is said. The others being weighed are, are those who are over the fellowship, who are shepherding the fellowship, who are listening. It also says that prophets are subject to prophets in, in the sense that there's a respect for one another, and they should be in unity. If they're speaking for the Lord, they, there should be unity there. And they're weighing each other's words, and they're weighing it to Scripture, and the elders are weighing what's being said. So it's not just, hey, who's got a word today? Stand up and share, and we just get like 100 different things being shared. No, there's, there's, we sit with it. We weigh it. We have to listen to it. We have to say, is this really from the Lord? So it is always subject to Scripture. The third thing I had up there is it tends to be mainly used in this assembly with individuals, not over these large groups of nations as Old Testament prophets often spoke. Old Testament prophets often spoke over the nation, spoke over uh, kingdoms or rulers. They would go to kings and, and tell them what the Lord was said about their, their rule and what, how they were supposed to be following God, or he'd talk to the people and say how we are supposed to be following God. Usually it was in that sense. But what we see in the New Testament is that it's built up within the body, that God's working in a smaller scale with all of those who are filled with his spirit. So the question is how do we define prophecy then? So we see differences from the Old Testament and New Testament. So how do we define it? What is Paul saying in 1 Corinthians 12? Well, prophecy then is not primarily predicting future events. Now, it can be. Anytime someone says this will happen, that's a prophetic utterance. Like if you're foretelling, like Revelation, the book of Revelation that John gives us, that's foretelling, that's, that's a prophecy. But it's not always foretelling. So we're not always in the New Testament sense of the prophecy and the words that God gives us. It's not primarily predicting the future. However, it can be. But in 1 Corinthians 12 through 14 and in other New Testament places, prophecy is, we could define it this way, the human report of a divine revelation. Reporting something that the Spirit has made known to us that we couldn't have known unless the Spirit made it known. We're bringing out something that the Holy Spirit has revealed in that moment. So that's how we could define prophecy in the New Testament. So unlike Old Testament prophets, all believers are to earnestly desire the gift, and in, in particular we see this in 1 Corinthians 14.1. It says, pursue love and earnestly desire the spiritual gifts, especially that you may prophesy. So Paul says we should all desire this. We should all desire that the Spirit shows the will of God in the assembly for one another, to build one another up. We all have the Spirit of God in us. The Old Testament, the Spirit rested on the prophet. God chose those prophets. In the New Testament, we are all prophets and kings, as my brother pointed out in the back earlier as we were talking about our identity in Christ. We all have the Holy Spirit. We are all sealed, and we can all be filled with the Holy Spirit, and the Spirit can use each and every one of us as he chooses. He can give gifts as he chooses. He manifests himself through his people as he chooses, 
Notice it's him doing this. It's not us. We're not the ones controlling the Spirit. We don't control prophecy. We don't just say, I, ha- I can tell you. It's the Spirit of God who is moving and working. We are all to desire this, he said. We are to especially desire prophecy because prophecy is a building up that is very, it's very powerful because it moves you into what God is really saying in that moment. It's confirming what God's doing in your life. It's, It's showing you next steps at times as to what he wants for you or for the body. There's, there's ways that prophecy works to really bring the body into fullness of what God wants. And when prophecy is done well, Paul will say in other places, when people come in who do not know God and they see the Spirit of God moving and how he edifies and builds up and the Spirit is showing them things that they could not know, but it's obvious that it's right, that it is God, what is the result? Well, they turn and repent and they worship. They, they give their life to God, to Christ. So prophecy is a very powerful spiritual gift in the church when used properly. So the question that some would say is, well, will everybody prophesy? Will all prophesy? Well, it would appear that the answer is no because Paul says we should all desire it. If we're all desiring it, doesn't mean that we've all had that spiritual gift. And it doesn't mean that we all will ever experience that spiritual gift. Some may ex- experience prophecy on a regular basis with the Spirit of God. Others may very rarely, and, and still others may say, I've never had that happen in my Christian walk. It doesn't mean that we're different levels of Christianity. As Matt Chandler would say, it doesn't mean if you haven't experienced prophecy that you're in the JV and someone else is in the varsity. I mean, it's, we're all on this journey together, and it's the Spirit who's doing this. So it shouldn't create division. We should rejoice that the Spirit manifests himself in whomever he chooses in the body because that manifestation will build us up, will encourage us. So Paul is saying that, that we are to pursue this And it places on us, the way he states this here, he places on us a command to be obeyed. So whether we receive the gift or not, we should pray for it, for the betterment of the church. 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verses 4 and verses 12. It says, the one who speaks in a tongue builds up himself, but the one who prophesies builds up the church. So with yourselves, since you are eager for manifestations of the Spirit, strive to excel in building up the church. It's a command to pursue the gift. That's the obedient part. You're just praying, Lord, I just want to be open to the moving of your spirit. I want to be used by you if that is your will in this way. If you would give me this gift, I would, I want it. <laughs> he says, eagerly desire it. Desire the gifts of the spirit. He wants to give those to the church. And so if we don't receive it, does that mean that God doesn't love us or we're not, is, we're not walking in his will? No. Paul's just saying the obedient part is just pursuing it. The obedient part is just saying that we're going after God. We're being open to the Spirit of God. So we don't want to make a judgment saying, well, I never received prophecy, so I must be living in sin. That's not true. 
Paul's just saying the obedience is, is, is the pursuit. And the Spirit does what he's going to do. So just pursue him. Just go after him. Unashamedly, go after Christ and all that he has for you. So our desire for this and the manifestation is the fulfillment of what Joel prophesied. In Acts chapter 2, we see Peter quoting him, verses 17 and 18. It says, And in the last days it shall be, God declares, that I will pour out my Spirit on all flesh, and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, and your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams, even on my male servants and female servants, in those days I will pour out my spirit and they shall prophesy. So this is the, the manifestation of the gift in the church is the fulfillment of a prophecy given by an Old Testament prophet. It's God fulfilling what he spoke of. So we, we see that, that this is God's working in the church. Another critique, though, that we see of prophecy comes from 1 Corinthians verse, uh, chapter 13, verses 8 through 10. So some would say, well, yeah, it's the manifestation, it's the fulfillment, but it was during Peter's time, and they would, they would quote this often. Love never ends. As for prophecies, they will pass away. As for tongues, they will cease. As for knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part, and we prophesy in part, but when, we, but when the perfect comes, the partial will pass away. Now, the way that passage typically gets, def- gets interpreted by uh, the one that we would call a cessationist who says the spiritual gifts aren't active, they would say the perfect is the fulfilling of the scriptures, the canon. In context, it's talking about the second coming of Jesus Christ. He is the perfect. That's when all these things cease, is what this passage is saying, that when he returns, that when he comes, then they will pass away because the perfect will be with us. Christ will be with us. The fulfillment of everything will be taking place with his return. So this idea of, being pass- this idea of passing away, they would say, no, we have the fulfillment of the scriptures. Christ is the word and we have the revelation of God, so we don't need prophecy. Or they would change prophecy to be just what I'm doing right now. I'm doing the ministry of the prophetic word. I'm preaching and teaching. I can say, Thus saith the Lord, and I can give you chapter and verse for it. And they would say, that's prophecy today. But that's not what Paul's talking about. Paul's talking about a manifestation of the Spirit, of something supernatural, where the Spirit shows and reveals something to us that we could not have known for the edification of his church. And it's subject to the Scriptures. So it's in line with what God says, who God is, his character, his nature, his purposes, but it's not chapter-verse. So Paul sees this as a continuing thing, not as a passing away thing. In fact, it it, it seems very normal even up to the time of his arrest. So Acts chapter 21, verses 9 through 14, we, we read this in the book of Acts. Do you have Acts 21? There we go. So he had four unmarried daughters. So he goes to see uh, Philip, who, who has four unmarried daughters who prophesied. And while we were staying for many days, a prophet named Agabus came down from Judea. And coming to us, he took Paul's belt and bound his own feet and hands and said, Thus says the Holy Spirit, this is how the Jews at Jerusalem will bind the man who owns this belt and deliver him into the hands 
of the Gentiles. When we heard this, we and the people then urged him not to go up to Jerusalem. And then Paul answered, what are you doing, weeping and breaking my heart? For I am ready not only to be imprisoned, but even to die in Jerusalem for the name of the Lord Jesus. And since he would not be persuaded, we ceased and said, let the, let the will of the Lord be done. So Agabus actually is foretelling in his prophecy. He's saying, if you go to Jerusalem, they're going to bind you. This is what will happen. He's, he's giving a prophecy of, of a future event in Paul's life. And so everyone then is encouraging Paul not to go. Don't go. See, God showed this to us. It means you're not to go. Well, this passage speaks to another critique that prophecy often gets, and that's that of accuracy, of a, a prophetic utterance. Some people say, well, how do we judge it? How do we know if it's accurate? What if it's not accurate? I've seen enough of them that are not accurate, so maybe God's not really doing this anymore. So this is uh, three things. It's on your handout. Three things to keep in mind about the prophetic. And this comes from uh, Sam Storm's book uh, about spiritual gifts. The first thing that he points out is it's a revelation. First of all, the prophetic is a revelation. 1 Corinthians 14, verse 30 it says, if a revelation is made to another sitting there, let the first be silent. If a revelation, it's a revelation. It's of the Holy Spirit. It's not of the prophet. As Peter said, he's not speaking of himself. He's carried along by the Holy Spirit, and he says, if one has a revelation, let him share that. Let the other prophet be patient and silent. So he's waiting for that revelation to be shared. It's of God. That's the first point. It's, it's perfect as well, because it's of the Holy Spirit. Now, it's not a hunch. It's not an inference. It's not an educated guess. It's not even wisdom, because maybe you know that person's circumstance. It's something revealed. It's a human report of a divine revelation. That's, that's what's being spoken. It's spontaneous revelation given by the Spirit. Now, the revelation is specific, and it's accurate. And it's of the Holy Spirit. So then how do we get it wrong? <laughs> what goes wrong? Like, if God is, is perfect, and he doesn't give us an imperfect vision, or revelation, or knowledge, or insight, how do we mess that up? Good question. I'm glad you asked. This is how we mess it up. Number two, in the interpretation. In the interpretation. So sometimes this is where we go off the track. We receive from the Holy Spirit, and we're trying to understand what it is that the Spirit is saying to us, and we're attempting to understand its meaning, and a couple things happen. We can rush. We can be like, oh, I got a word from the Lord. I just, you know, oh, I think this is from God. And we just open our mouth, and stuff just comes out. <laughs> and we're like, this is what it must mean. We have an interpretation. Like, oh, I know your circumstance, and I got this image, and I just know that this is what it means. And we just, immediately, we just start to interpret it. We rush into it. We start to infer something about it. Oh, because I got an image of this thing, it must mean this. You know, we, we start to do word-picture association. We start inferring something about the revelation. 
or we just make an educated guess. I think this is what God's showing me, and so I think this is how it should be interpreted. Now, it's sometimes clear, it's sometimes not. Sometimes it is clear, and you say, oh, we're praying in a group here, like Saturday nights. We have seen at times people have just a word for each other, and it's, it's right on, and they're just like, you know, we were praying, and I just got a sense from the Spirit through this picture that he just gave me in my mind about this thing, I just, and they share it, and it's like, yeah, that makes perfect sense. Like, wow. Like, I know you weren't in my house this morning listening to our conversations, but that's exactly what we were saying. That's exactly what's going on. That's encouraging, that God sees it, God's working, and he helps. Sometimes it's very clear. We share those things, but sometimes it's not clear. So what happens when we have a revelation and we're trying to wrestle with it and it's not clear? Well, I would say two things about that. First, if it's not clear, you're under no obligation to speak it. Just because it's in your head doesn't mean it has to come out your mouth. Sometimes God puts something in there and we need to sit with it. We don't understand. It's like, that's weird. Like, I, I don't know. Or I think that might just be me. Like, I know, like, you said this, and I was thinking immediately this, but I would have thought that anyway. Like, maybe that's just me. Like, I, I'm just going to pray about this a little bit more. I'm not going to say, oh, I have a word from the Lord. So if it's not clear, you, you're under no obligation to rush and say anything at all. You don't even have to say, oh, I have a thing from the Lord, but I just don't think I can share it right now. Like, don't do that either, man. Like, it's like, I have something from God for you, but I, I just don't think I can share it. Like, oh, then don't, don't tell me. Like, don't even say you got anything. All right, second thing is, if there's something you feel really compelled by the Spirit to share, like, it's like, I just have this strong picture in my head, or I just have this strong sense or or something that I really feel God wants me to share for the edification, for the building up. Now notice, it's for edification and building up. It's not for condemnation and tearing down. It's not for judgmental uh, you know, conversations and things like, oh, the Lord told me you need to get right. You know, it's, it's not this. It's for building up. And if you have that pressing, like, I'm sitting with it. I don't have an interpretation, but I just have this sense. I just want to share this. So say that. I don't know what this means. I just want to share it with you. Maybe you do. Maybe it makes no sense to you at all either. I don't know. I just feel like as I'm praying for you, as we're together, as we're ministering and one anothering, I just feel compelled to share this with you. Maybe it helps you. Maybe it doesn't. I'm just leaving it with you. You do with it. You pray about it. What does that do? That means that as the one receiving, you're under no obligation to carry it either doesn't make sense. If it doesn't line up, if it's not accurate, you just say, well, thank you for praying for me, and I, I really appreciate that. And then you just move on. I mean, the fact that we're one another and that we're praying for each other and we're coming alongside, sometimes we will get the, the interpretation of the revelation wrong. Or it will just be us. Maybe it is you had too much pepperoni pizza and you're just like, oh, that makes me think of this. You know, and I'm like, I don't know. But as you receive it, you're just saying thank you. Thank you for your, for your kindness, for praying. Thank you for, for coming alongside. And, and I'll, I'll pray about it. But if it doesn't line up, 
it's not something for you to wear. It's not something for you to walk in. It has no authority over you. We are men and women trying to walk with a holy God, trying to encourage one another. And so we are not binding one another with with new commandments. We are not putting a different yoke on one another. Jesus says take his yoke. And if we want to know how to follow Jesus and, and, and prophecy can get really weird, hey, just follow this revelation. Because everything shared with you should line up with this revelation. So you're under no obligation to receive it other than to say, thank you, brother. Thank you, sister, for praying for me. And I'll, I'll share that with somebody else or whatever. Maybe there's, it, maybe there's an interpretation there. Maybe there's not. The third part's the application. We get the, sometimes we get the revelation and we, we interpret it, <clears throat> but we apply it again. Not well. Again, the revelation is always good, but we may misinterpret or misapply what God has spoken or shown. So let's look at Acts 21, verses 3 and 4 again, and 18 through 14. So Acts 21, 3 and 4 says, When we had come in sight of Cyprus, leaving it on the left, we sailed to Syria and landed at Tyre. For there the ship was to unload its cargo. And having sought out the disciples, so this is Paul. He says, having sought out the disciples, we stayed there for seven days. And through the Spirit, they were telling Paul not to go to Jerusalem. So they're they're, they're getting the same sense. They're prophesying. They're saying, I know that you're going to be persecuted. I know that you're going to suffer there. Like, don't go. Don't go. What are they doing? They're giving application. They're giving interpretation and application. They're getting the the Spirit confirming that Paul will suffer. That's the revelation. And then they interpret it as God's will for you is that you do not go. Don't go. The application of this is you're not to go to Jerusalem. You're not to go there. Look what God's showing us. That's what they say. And then verses 8 through 14, it says this, And on the next day we departed and came to Caesarea, and we entered the house of Philip the evangelist who was one of the seven and stayed with him and he had four unmarried daughters we've read this right who prophesied while we were staying for many days a prophet named Agabus came down from Judea and coming to us he took Paul's belt and bound his his own feet and hands and said thus says the Holy Spirit again here's the revelation this is how the Jews at Jerusalem will bind the man who owns this belt and deliver him into the hands of the Gentiles should have been full stop right there this is what God says. This is what I think God's saying. They go forward. Further, they're going to interpret and they're going to apply it. So then they go to this. Um, when we heard this, we and the people there urged him not to go up to Jerusalem. And then Paul says, what are you doing weeping and breaking my heart? Like He's like, you're telling me this thing that I'm not to go. But Paul knows this is exactly the will because in chapter 20, verses 22 and 23, we read this before he even gets these prophetic words. And now behold, I am going to Jerusalem, constrained by the Spirit. I'm going to Jerusalem. And who's, who's sending him there? The Holy Spirit. It's settled. I know what I have to do. I have to go to Jerusalem. This is what God has for me. This is the will for me. 
This is his will. This is what I'm doing. So he's constrained by the Spirit, not knowing what will happen to me there, except that the Holy Spirit testifies to me in every city that imprisonment and afflictions await me. So what happens? They're confirming God's will in his life. He's like, the Spirit has told me I'm to go to Jerusalem, and the Spirit has shown me that I'm going to suffer. And then he goes, and the next place he stops, he gets the disciples together, and they start praying, and someone says, Paul, you're going to suffer, so God doesn't want you to go. And he's like, no, I'm supposed to go. You're confirming what the Spirit has told me, that yes, that's right. Who's weighing the prophecy? Paul is. Who's receiving it? Paul is. And what does he say in the, in the next section? He says, why are you weeping and breaking my heart? He says, you're applying this. Let me do the interpretation and application here. He says, you're, you're taking that step. Just share what the Lord has. And Paul says, I have to go. It's, it's set. It's settled with me. This is what God has for me in the Spirit. So he is hearing it. And what do we have? We have prophecy taking place in the New Testament. And guess what? They got it wrong. By interpretation and application, they took steps that the Spirit wasn't showing them. So we have to be careful. We have to be careful telling someone what we think is God's will for their life. When he shows us things, we just share that faithfully. We just say, hey, I'm praying for you, and, and this is what I, I think God wants me to share with you. And just leave it there. It needs to be subject. If it's for the church, it's weighed by the church elders. So I'll tell you here at the bridge, anything before it's shared at the church will have to go through our elders. If you have a word for the church, we need to hear it. We need to weigh it. Brings me to the last section here about teaching and prophecy. So both are revelatory gifts. Teaching, what I'm doing right now, bringing out the Word of God, expanding on it, talking about it, trying to get us to understand how it all fits together. Both of these are revelatory gifts. This is of the Spirit. Holy Spirit works in me. He helps me. He speaks. And both are based on this revelation of God, of the Scriptures, whereas prophecy is often a word, a picture, a vision, uh, or a dream given outside of Scripture, but it has to line up and agree with Scripture. They're both revelatory gifts. Both have revelation at their start. The Bible is the revelation that I start with in my teaching ministry. Both move uh, then to the interpretation. I read it, and then I have to interpret it. I have to take time and, and wrestle with this. And, and what does this mean? What's the context? What is God saying to us here? I have to come to interpretation. Both end with application. Now, how do I apply this? How does this help the church? How does that help us follow Christ more? How does this help us put off sin? How does this help us be conformed to his image more and more? What is it that God's saying to us? How does it show us who we are and show us who he is? And how does it move us to worship? Like, I have to think of all this application. And both the teaching ministry and the prophetic ministry can be misinterpreted and misapplied. There will be people who watch this, no doubt, online and say, yep, your whole sermon. <laughs> you misapplied it because I don't believe in that stuff. I don't think you're teaching and interpreting and applying it correctly. And that's okay. We are striving after him. I believe I am doing it correctly. But it's, it can be misapplied. 
How do I know it can be misapplied and we can still be okay? Uh, another sense is, uh, think about end times. How many different end times philosophies are there? <laughs> I mean, really, everybody has their own nuance, right? And, every, and they all use scripture. They all try to interpret and apply it. We can get it wrong. Sometimes it's not clear. We just don't know. We can get it wrong. Now, I say this because prophecy has been misused by many, and, and so it's been denounced, and, it, and then the reaction is throw it out, or, or let's just redefine it as to what I'm doing right now. We'll call this prophecy, but what Rob's talking about, that's, that's, we won't define it that way. We'll just do it here with this revelation only. But where prophecy is misused, naturally people say, ah, I, I don't, I'm not comfortable with it, let's, let's throw it out. But the point is this, teaching can also be misused. And we make no argument to remove it from the church. That's because it's clearly what the church is to do, Acts 2.42. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, and to the fellowship, and to the breaking of bread, and the prayers. In that time of prayers, that's where I believe the Spirit manifests himself in prophecy. So they're doing this. We wouldn't throw teaching out. I'm going to miss the mark on occasion. And we have faithful men, elders, who listen to me preach. And the, sometimes they come back and they say, you need a clarification there. Or, how did you get to that? Or, is that really true? You know, like, we challenge one another. We, we stretch one another. We, we watch over one another. Why? Because we're shepherding a congregation. Sometimes we miss the mark as men trying to bring about the revelation of God to you. So what are we to do with both of these? We don't throw them out. We, we test prophecy against Scripture as we test what I'm teaching against Scripture. Acts 17.11, this is the Bereans. Now these Jews were more noble than those in Thessalonica. They received the word. This is from Paul's teaching with all eagerness. They wanted to hear it. Tell us what you have to say, Paul. And he's preaching about Jesus, and then they examine the Scriptures daily to see if these things were so. Rob, tell us what you have. Now let's go back and look. How many of you go back and check my sermons? The Bereans would. Thanks, Bob. I appreciate that. He's like, I do. <laughs> the Bereans would. And you should too. That's really what he's saying here in the Scriptures. They were more honorable. Why? Because they looked. You said the, the Spirit does this. Does he do this? Does he really do this? If he does it, then I want it. I want that in my life. The other passage, 1 Corinthians 14, verse 29. Let two or three prophets speak and let the others weigh what is said. We have, to, we have to judge it. We have to judge it. We have to look at it and judge it. So let me recap part one of, of prophecy. First is just the definition of prophecy, that it is just us speaking a divine revelation of the Holy Spirit. It's just bringing out what God has shown. So what do we do? We go after it. We go after God. We say, hey, if that's what the Spirit is, is doing, we go after it. If God's working in other areas, we go after that too. So spiritual gifts, we go after it. We gain understanding. That's why we study the Scriptures. We gain understanding of it. It's what Paul's saying to us applicable today. And then we grow in it. 
And then lastly, we test all things, we hold to what is good, and we edify the body and preach the good news to the unbeliever. That's what it's all about. We hold to what is good. We are being edified and built up and being washed and made pure and holy and blameless and spotless for King Jesus when he returns. And we preach the gospel to the unbeliever. That's how all this ties together. Let's let's pray. Will you stand? Father, we thank you. (laughs) It's a lot of a lot of information uh, to take in, and I, I thank you for your word. I thank you for how Paul speaks about these things in 14 as well, and how he tries to uh, teach us and edify us and train us, and we, ne- we need your spirit to keep doing that. We want all that you have for us, God. We, we want to desire the fullness of your presence in our body here at the bridge, and we want the fullness of your presence in our lives. And Father, it says that you give good gifts through the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit, you manifest yourself. You show us the will of the Father in our lives and, and what he's doing. And, and we give thanks for that. And we, we ask that you would help us to just get more understanding as we think about prophecy and the prophetic. That it wouldn't seem foreign and strange. That it would be something that we would rightly understand and be able to celebrate it in the proper context of, of how you reveal it. So, Father, we just, we just pray that we would just be open to your Spirit. Make us like the Bereans. May we search your, your perfect revelation, the, the Scriptures, and see how all this comes together. And then help us walk in unity. Help us walk in unity and in love for one another through all of it. So we give thanks because... We know that you are wanting to build your church and unify her and and make her all that you've promised her to be conformed to the image of Christ for that day when you'll call us to yourself.